Welcome, Toronto, Canada. Hello and welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is episode 416. We're crossing the northern border into Toronto, Canada. I'm your host, Casey Maluli, back with you here. We've got Tom, Tim, and Brendan around the table ready to do something a little different than, than what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. And we're here to talk about things that aren't really liquid, meaning investments that in times like this in, in 2022, when volatility seems to be rampant in the market, it seems like we're up or down a percent or two every single day. So when it's like this, people get concerned and they kind of just want to make it stop. I know, Tom, you did a video about this this week. This podcast is, is going to pair nicely with that, so be sure to go and watch that video as well. But um, we get these things in our in our inboxes all the time. These are structured notes. We get some things for non-traded REITs, and I know we see more people come in with variable indexed annuities. So these are all things that are marketed as safer type of investments. We actually printed out some of the offers that are hitting all of our inboxes. So who wants to go first and share some of the highlights of uh, these offers that we're getting for these products? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. So we just passed, we just kind of shuffled them and passed them around. So this is a structured note that- These are not recommendations, by the way. Absolutely not recommendations, but this is a structured note. So it's a debt instrument this is where you will outperform in a down market with a 30% buffer. Try explaining that to an individual investor. It's a two-year note that is tied to the S&P 500. I want to be clear. You're not investing in the S&P 500. You're investing in a two-year note. That's a debt instrument, and it's issued by a very, 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 very large financial institution, which also happens to be in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Um, so the, the highlights of this deal, this debt, is you get 150% per participation on the upside. That sounds really good. So, you know, if the S&P 500 goes up 20%, you get 30%. However, it's subject to a maximum return of 26%. So next year, the S&P 500 could go up, I don't know, 50%. <clears throat> the max you could get would be 26%. And I can just hear people who own this thing can say, the market went up so much, why did we own this thing? I could have just bought the S&P and I would have been fine. So the other side of that investment is a 30% buffer where the first 30% loss is absorbed. For example, the S&P 500 goes down 30%. The investor gets their full principal back and they're like, oh, I like the sound of that. That sounds awesome. But just remember, it's a two year thing. It's a two year gig that you're signing up for. So two years, you get your money back. You didn't make any money like you. I mean, Jim Cramer's going crazy on TV talking about 4% on you know two year notes. Uh, you're not even going to make that. Also, if the S&P is down more than 30% from the time the investment starts, the client is subject to a one-for-one -one loss after the 30% buffer. So if the S&P 500 goes down 40% and that you've got that 30% buffer, you're still going to lose 
And the, the walk away line is, well, the S&P went down 40%. I only lost 10. Um, and again, it's backed by the full faith and credit of very, 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 very large financial institution in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. These things are not liquid. You can't, there is no liquid market for these things. You can't sell them. You well, can't get out of them. There might be, but it's going to be a secondary market where you get absolutely clobbered in it, like many of these other thinly traded things. Right. Um, you know, there's there's a resale market for most things in the world, but they're probably so so disadvantageous to you as somebody looking to get liquidity back that uh, you'd have to take a pretty significant haircut. So for all for all intents and purposes, you may as well think of them as unsellable. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I feel like that's, that's a common trait of these products, whether it's, you know, the structured notes or whether it's, uh, uh, equity indexed annuities, uh, or, uh, non-traded REITs, you know, like private, private real estate deals, stuff like that. All the stuff that has held its value so far this year is, is more a reflection of that, that illiquidity that, that you bear as somebody taking those investments on. Uh, than, than it is about you know the prices themselves of those of those products holding up. You look under the hood. If you were to look under the hood of those things, that what what they're you know invested in is fluctuating. But to you on on the surface, you're not seeing that. So it feels better when the market is swinging around. Uh, but it doesn't mean that your investments aren't fluctuating with you know, how the rest of the market is going. Yeah, and to be fair, in this particular example, uh, this very, very, very large financial institution, uh, which is also a member of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, they're not saying that the market is going to go down over the next two years. All they're doing is they're saying, hey, we're going to place this bet. We want you to put up the money. Here's the terms. So right, they're, they're telling you the terms. So what you should be doing, because you're, you're making the same but opposite bets, is considering why they would want to make the bets that they are with you. And the odds are, when it's a giant reputable company, that they've run the numbers and they think the odds are in their favor, that they're the house in this situation and you're the person going to the casino. 100% right. So, so it's, not, it's not that these, these things that we're discussing broadly here couldn't possibly have a place in a portfolio for anybody. But I think it's very rare that people have these things and they fully understand the bets that they've made because I think that they're betting on low probability outcomes. And if that's something that you want to do with a portion of your money to be like the the disaster, like the tail risk part of your portfolio, I mean, I have, I have feelings on whether or not you should be doing that. But I, I could imagine a world where somebody wants to do that with some of their money based on all the other risks they're taking and, and what those are. But don't don't operate in a dream world where you think that you have investments that aren't impacted by the economic environment at large. Because that's that's what you're saying when it's when, when you're believing that the price of your non-traded REIT, you know, hasn't moved this year, you're 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 basically saying that you think the price of that real estate that's owned under the hood of that private investment fund hasn't been subject to the same economic headwinds that real estate at large and the economy at large uh, are giving us this year. They just haven't, it's not they just, true. Yeah, they just haven't done their appraisal yet. Right. So, yeah, I think two things. There is an aspect of the not being able to access the money and it being better off that way. There is an aspect of that that I actually like from like a behavioral investment standpoint. 
where it's like this money is going to be in whatever product for two years and I literally can't touch it. So I'm not even going to think about it or it's not even going to be on my mind. Like there is some behavioral element of that, that I think if investors could take that mindset of I'm not touching this money for X amount of years and apply that to things that are easier to understand, then that would like be the 401k. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. you strip out all the extra cost. Basically, what you're doing with a lot of these products is you're paying somebody a higher fee to make up a number and tell you that it hasn't changed on a statement and not allow you access to your money. Like that's yep. you're, you're paying. It's you're an paying expensive way to get rid of that little behavioral itch of trying to touch money before you should. And it's only behavioral because in the event that you did want to break the terms of the deal and get right. your money back, you which you, you might be able to do, you're going to have you're going to have to regardless of what's happened with the actual underlying investment, you're going to take a haircut to try to sell that in the secondary market to somebody else. Nobody's going to pay you full price for it. Yeah. So in 1997, 1998, uh, the firm that I was with at the time started rolling out these structured products. Are they in the Dow Jones Industrial? This is a very, very, very large financial institution, which is not a member of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, um, but they want to be. Um, Don't we all? So they started rolling these products out, and it it used to take me weeks to wrap my head around the terms of it. And then when I think I could finally explain it to someone, the deal would be sold out. And it's like, but don't worry, on Thursday, we're bringing out another deal just like it. The terms will be a little different. And I'm like, what in the world is this? How can you, in a legal and compliant way, explain these things to an individual investor and say with a straight face, this is really going to be good for you? Or it's really something you ought to consider. Like, what? The thing that really stood out to me, we talk about trying to do too much with your money. It's like they had an answer to whether you were scared or whether you wanted exponential growth, basically. Well, not exponential growth since it's capped, but they had an answer for whatever side of the market you were going to be on. And I think to me, that is a red flag. Yeah. So the one that I have here, the one offering it, it it also says that the minimum investment to launch this note is $500,000. Um, they said you could potentially participate with with less, but so that means that they're going after people that have a lot of money to put into a, a note like this, and not to paint with a broad brush, but I feel like very wealthy people sometimes equate that I have a lot of money, which means my investments need to be very com- complex yeah. and sophisticated. So they might seek out something like this uh, because. Yeah, other people can't have it. it. It may sound to some listeners of this podcast that we are looking at one small corner of the market, but you know, the one that I'm looking at had a $250,000 minimum. The one that Tim's looking at has a half a million dollars. Some of these things were sold in units of $1,000 uh, over the years. Understand that this is just one company. One company. There are lots of companies that... that produce these products. Last year, this one company sold $9 billion worth of these products. And I will guarantee that in 2022, 
these products are, we're going to read about them in the first quarter of next year, how these things blew the doors off, all kinds of sales records. Same thing with non-traded REITs, same thing with indexed equity indexed annuities, that when there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of volatility out there, these things fly off the shelves. Point well made about the annuities too, because we're talking about these structured notes. It's funny because you can tell if we have a prospective new client coming in, you can you can tell where they're coming from based on the products they've been sold. If they're scared of volatility and they're working at a wirehouse, they're going to have structured notes. And if they're scared and they were working with somebody who does insurance, they're going to have annuities. Because both of those are the I'm afraid of market volatility, give me a solution thing uh, that doesn't involve having the difficult conversation about, you know, that you can't. You can't destroy risk, you can just transform it, is the line that uh, Corey Hofstein, a uh, friend of ours from Twitter, likes to say. I think it's very true. You're just, you're just making trade-offs. Like you're giving up liquidity in a lot of instances by using products like this. You're not necessarily getting rid of the volatility. It's going to be translated to you differently than it might be on an investment statement, but it, but it hasn't disappeared. You're just making trade-offs in terms of how you want to take your risks. And, uh, you know, the insurance products work the same way that that the structured notes do in a lot of cases where, you know, you're, you're looking at some sort of a deal where, you know, if the market goes down, you're anchored to the high watermark. But what, what people don't understand in a lot of cases is, you know, what, what the actual product was meant to do, uh, at least specifically when we're talking about annuities. And we have to like tell people sometimes that these are largely, uh, you know, a product that is meant to replicate something like a pension from an income standpoint. And most of the time, people just have them because they heard that they could invest and get upside with limited or no downside. And uh, it's not, that isn't the primary reason I would use an annuity, I'll tell you that much. And they think they're invested in the S&P 500 or whatever index it's marked to. Right, rather than like the fee-laden sub-accounts of the annuity products. The one that's in front of me said this structured note is like a bond investment. People hear, oh, it's a it's a bond. Okay, cool. I know what I know what bonds are at least on the surface level. Your return will probably it's be like, like bonds, bond. and you're technically a creditor of whoever made the promise to you, so it's got bond-like qualities. <laughs> Bondish. Yeah. But yeah, so it's funny going along with what you said. Like, I feel like sometimes people have annuities, and we, you know, when you're, you know, looking over an annuity, deciding what to do with it, when they when new people come to us, it's you know, the, the option of, well, you could annuitize the contract. They're like, oh yeah, I forgot I could do that. Or like, I didn't even know I could do that. Or what do you mean annuitize the contract? It's like, that's what it's made for. Sometimes people are pleasantly surprised to learn that the numbers work out to such an extent that they, they do it or they consider it as an option moving forward. But in a lot of cases, you lay out what the terms of annuitizing are in terms of like, you know, you're giving up control of the money, you know, in exchange for an income stream and a promise from the insurer for the rest of your lifetime or joint lifetime. And people are like, oh, no way. Like, I'm not I'm not giving up, you know, the lump sum. Like, I'm, I'm not doing that. And it's like, so then what, yeah, what, <laughs> what in the world did you put your money into this annuity for? Because it's locked up for a decade now. And the only way you're getting out of it with any money in your pockets is by annuitizing it, or you're or you're going to pay the surrender charges and give back all of the, you know, volatility shielded growth that you've had for however long you've been in it. And you can't even get capital gain tax treatment with any of the growth that you made. It's all going to be ordinary income, or if you're under fifty nine and a half, it's going to be penalized away uh, if you were to take money out. It's amazing to see. One of the ways that I've explained it 
in meetings is we're taking a balance sheet item, an asset, that's this annuity, and we're going to transfer it basically to your income statement. So the asset itself is going to go away. But in return, just like working 20 years or 30 years for a company, you're going to get this asset. Instead of having an asset, a lump sum in a pension plan, you're now going to take this annuity and you're going to turn it into an income stream that's going to last for the rest of your life. It does make a lot of retirement plans work and work better. I mean, for 35 years, I've been hearing people say, I want income in retirement. Okay, here you go. It's just a matter of to what extent. Because in a lot of cases, if you've got the entirety of your net worth tied up in products like annuities, then you know, you're know you probably not going to annuitize all of that. No. Because you need to have some liquidity in retirement or, or money for things that are not you know your budgetable monthly expenses. Right. But... You know, it, it becomes a consideration. It's not it's not the end of the world to consider buying an income stream with a lump sum of money. That that is a separate thing in my mind than these products that are sold to promise people that they can invest and not have to worry about downside risk. That doesn't it just it doesn't compute and the lengths that people will go to ignore that that is not based in reality just it, it baffles me. Because we try to have these conversations with folks when we're explaining how we invest about what to expect and and how often to expect it. And I just, I can't imagine with a straight face telling somebody that they can invest and not have to bear any volatility. And, and, not, and, and if that is going to be the case because they've made a contractual agreement with somebody that says that they can do just that, then what, then what is the cost of doing that aside from the like explicit cost of the product itself, which is hopefully understood at the time of transaction that, how they're paying for it, but what other trade-offs are they making? Because those are potentially important ones to consider moving forward. I, I feel like the to understand them like fully, I'm not even like I read through these and I don't have a full grasp of what because you need to understand options to understand this because it's yes. comparable. To, they're basically taking your money and placing the option bet for you or like a string of option bets for you to make sure that this pays out in all the scenarios that they've described. And then all the ones that they haven't described is where they're just like pocketing something in the difference, or they know like the cost that they have to pay to hedge the bets that they've made. And then everything else is just gravy for them to do whatever they want with. And they know that like if the outcome that they promise you pays out, that they've hedged that with options and it's fine. So like you, they, I think to understand these completely and I'm like, I don't even you have yeah. to be like an options trader. Yeah. The idea that anybody would understand this and the bets that they're making just doesn't, it, I don't, it doesn't track for the me. Other, I, I think the other part of the problem is that, you know, once the, uh, you do get a prospectus when you buy these things. And everyone reads those. <laughs> but uh, once you file the prospectus away or you get a term sheet like this and you put it away, you can't find it. And so you're... Joe Q public and you have one of these things in your account and you go to transfer your account to Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade, it just looks like a, a note, a debt instrument uh, that's backed by a big brokerage firm or a bank. It doesn't come along with this big, you know, three page summary of what the terms are. And so it's, you know, this gets lost or forgotten, these details of it and so you kind of forget 
what happens. Oh yeah, that was the deal that was backed up by that bank. And I think we had a buffer for the first 25% or 30, I forget. Uh, and that's kind of what happens to these things. Yeah, and then someone has to figure it out. Yeah, they're all sold. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you'd go looking for something like this. And, and like I, I probably mentioned earlier, whether it was on, on tape or not, but you know, this firm that issues it has decided that we're going to place a bet going this way, and you're basically raising the money for them to pay to take the bet. Yeah, it's and a loan. you're going to yeah, it's a loan, and you're going to here are the terms to get your money back and earn a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it was years that had the market down. The buffer was thirty percent. I know that that's like the big fear, but it's so it was a two-year period, and you're protected against a thirty percent loss. Right. Over how many time periods going back to 1920 has the S&P been down and stayed down? Well, two-year time periods, S&P's been down and stayed down 30% for, an, for a two-year stretch. Um, I, I think it was the only time was in the early 1930s during the Depression. Yeah. So it's like, like you said, Brent, it's a low probability event, but it, it has the, you're protected against a 30% loss. What they don't tell you is... That's assuming that you would be down 30% and then sell right. if you own the S&P 500, which isn't, doesn't have to be that way. But yeah, let, me, let me make the case for somebody who would want to use this. Okay. You, you use it for a portion of your money, and when it pays off, the low probability outcome pays off, the idea is that you're going to use the money that's held up while everything else on your portfolio got wrecked to buy more. So, yeah. But you could just be 100% long that stuff anyway that you're going to buy more of. And like, sure, you're going to have an incremental gain above and beyond buy and holding by hypothetically taking, you know, dried powder down 30 plus percent, dumping it into the portfolio and investing then. But it just seems like a lot of extra work that most people don't need to do. And, and the incremental gain above and beyond just having the long term approach and being in the ideal portfolio anyway, absent this hedge beast that, that you've purchased, uh, you're, you're surely not doing this with the entirety of your money. That's nuts. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's the, it goes back to what we talk about when we're like, you know, all in, all out decisions. Is the news going to be better when this thing pays off and you get the payout and then you're going to be buying stocks when they're down 30%? It's like, no, you're going to be even more scared at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So you got to be careful out there. When you're, you really got to know, know what you own and, and ask questions and really understand it. And it's tricky, like you said, Bren, uh, especially with these types of products, because you do see familiar uh, words and familiar phrases that people do understand. And it seems too good to be true. And like I said, I feel like that is a red flag to us. But, you know, it's, it's understandable. Like these things do get sold all the time and, and, uh, it is understandable, but you really got to be careful and, and understand um, to the best of your abilities what you're getting involved in when you invest in these things. So I think that's going to wrap it up for episode 416. Guys, I'm sorry. if uh, For our listeners out there, if you've been following along, if you've been following along the last couple of weeks, Tim's been on the pod and the Jets have been winning and they went, Brendan and Tim went to the game last week against the Patriots and... Uh, it's all over now. Tough loss. I ruined it. I'll take responsibility. Brendan has fallen on the I can, knife. I can no longer return to MetLife Stadium if I want the Jets to win. So, 
guys. I will not be there this weekend, yeah. so hopefully they can uh, compete with the Bills. I don't yeah. know though. Tall, tall, tall task. We're on to Buffalo. Yeah. Time to start a new streak. It's okay. <laughs> Thanks as always for listening. We'll be back with you for episode 417. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast.